0: Um, A lot of you want to know what I'm going to talk about today. I wonder why. If you missed last week, it is on the on the podcast. Um, If you're not on the podcast, all you have to do is subscribe. Go on our website. You can subscribe that way or you can go through your smartphone, any podcast app. Just look up First Baptist Church and it'll be on there. Um, So today we're going to talk about conflict. Conflict in all your most important relationships. I'm going to start by telling, something, telling you something that uh, it may make you feel a little better, is either going to make you feel better or it's absolutely going to destroy you. So you ready? Your pastor and his wife occasionally disagree. Sometimes we don't like each other. Sometimes we get into arguments. Um, I can remember, now the first year, I've told you all about that, first year was tough all around, but... You know, it got better after that, but we still had our problems. And I remember uh, when I was pastor of my very first church and uh, Carrie was pregnant uh, with our first child. So she had all that pregnancy stuff going on. I had no excuse. I was just weird. Um, I don't even know what we got into it about. I can't remember. I just remember we were standing in the living room and we were arguing And then she had enough and she turned and walked out, which just drove me nuts because I wasn't through. I still had things to say. And so it made me so mad. There was a pair of shoes laying there on the floor. My shoes, probably what we were arguing about, but I don't know. So it made me so mad. I just turned and I kicked one of them as hard as I could. And y'all, I promise I couldn't do this if I tried. I kicked it so hard it flew across the room and hit her in the leg as she was walking out of the room. And she turned around and she said, you threw a shoe at me? And I said no I didn't throw a shoe at you and then she goes through the door and she slams the door to the bedroom and I'm all Rhett Butler you're not locking me out again kind of and I fling fling the door open and there wasn't a door stopper so the doorknob punched a hole in the in the sheetrock just perfect which yeah yeah that'll show her that ended our argument right there so uh we look back at that oh by the way We didn't own that house. We weren't even renting that house. That house was a parsonage, so you know it was owned by the church. They never asked me what happened to that door, (laughs) what hole in that wall, and I never told them. So anyway, um, that that's a that's a fun one to look back on. If I'm if I'm ever grumpy and I need something to make me laugh, I just picture her expression when she turned around and said, "You threw a shoe at me." So uh, we're better now. Okay, we we can laugh about stuff like that, and we. We don't argue quite as often. We've learned a few things. We've learned, choose your battles. Most things aren't worth getting upset about. Don't be the one that escalates things, right? If y'all are having a discussion, if you're arguing, don't be the one that takes it to the next level, all right? If, if she does, then fine, but you don't be that one. Uh, try to leave sarcasm out of it. Sarcasm's great if you're just joking around, but when you're mad at each other, sarcasm is just not the time for that, and... Don't say, you're always, or you never. Those are words that you should not use. Um, and then finally, this is important. If you've got something you just have to say to your spouse, something you've been wanting to say to them for a long time, something you've been needing to say to them, something they need to hear, when you're mad is not the time to say that thing. Okay, Save that for when you're both calm, when you're good. But we want to talk about what the Bible says today about conflict not just within marriage, but within all your most important relationships. We're looking at Romans 12. You see the scripture on the, on the screen. Romans 12 is a great chapter. Roman, you know, The book of Romans is tough. Many of you have studied it if you've been in BSF. I know that they did that a couple of years ago or last year, I think. Um, but Romans 12 is about the church itself. And I don't know if you know this. If you read the Bible next year like we're challenging you to do, you'll see it when you get to the New Testament. Jesus and the apostles were intensely concerned about the unity of God's people. They wanted us to get along with each other. They wanted, there were two things that the apostles were worried about. They were worried about doctrine. They were worried, about, they were worried, they were worried that false teachers would come in, and we'd, get, we'd go off on these tangents, and we'd believe this trendy stuff that would take us away from the true gospel. They were worried about that, and they were worried that we would not love each other. You know, that's, that's what Jesus prayed the night before he died, that, they, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And it makes sense. If you have kids, is it a happier place to be when your kids are getting along or when they're fighting? Well, Yeah. You know, I, I've said for a long time, my favorite sound in the whole wide world, even, even better than the opening notes to the, to the theme song of Monday Night Football, my favorite sound in the whole wide world is the sound of my kids laughing together. And sometimes they're laughing at me, and it's still a beautiful sound. And God loves it when his children are happy together. And that's that's something that's extremely biblical. It's something that's touched on in every book of the New Testament in one way or another. So at the end of Romans chapter 12, he talks about how to get that done. It grieves him when we have conflict. There's going to be conflict. That's true. We're sinful people. We have emotions. We're going to get in, we're going to get crossways with one another. But how do we handle those conflicts? So let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do right, to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I know this is a scripture specifically addressed to the church itself, but I think we can apply it to all of our most important relationships. So think about the people you come into contact, contact with on a daily or weekly basis, the people who, let's face it, let, let's just be honest, you and I can probably handle stress at work. If you've got a stressful work environment, you're like, okay, that's just work. I can I can go home and, and leave it at work. You can probably handle financial stress. Some of you have been in debt before. Maybe you're in debt now. Maybe you've you've dealt with. Hey, what if I lose my job here? Hey, what if this? What if you can handle that kind of stress? You can handle all kind, You can handle physical stress. You've got illnesses. You've got injuries. You're fighting through it. The one thing none of us can handle is when we're out of whack with the people who are most important to us. Those closest relationships, when those aren't right, that's a stress that can drive you to despair. So think about those most important relationships. How do you handle it when the conflict hits? That's what this passage is about. So four things. See, I'm I'm throwing a curveball at you. I'm a Baptist preacher who's not doing three points. So four things. Step one, according to this, stop the conflict before it starts be proactive. Don't wait until you're in the thick of things and you're throwing a shoe at them. I mean, kicking a shoe at them, right? I mean, stop it before it starts. Verse 17 says two things. It says, first of all, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Now, I know, I know there are people in this room who were born with that kind of nature that just says, I don't have to take this. You know, there's, there's people in this room that are nice, that can, that can be patient, that that are, are more passive, we're not really any more righteous than the people who are more aggressive, you realize that, because all of it's on, internal for us. But then there are those people on the other side who, they're quick to speak, they, don't, they respond to a slight, they respond to a provocation, they're the kind of person who, you know, when the, they came out of their mama's womb and the doctor slapped them on the rear, they turned around and slapped him back, right? They're, they're just people who, they're not afraid to, they don't walk away from a fight. And, you know, as Mark Twain says, a bulldog can whip a skunk, but it ain't worth it. Lots of our, lots of our fights aren't worth it. Most of our fights, most of our conflicts aren't worth it. And we can, we can choose. I'm not saying it's easy. We can all choose to re- change the way we respond to the things that provoke us. We get into a pattern. I'm no psychologist, but I know this. We get into a behavioral pattern. When this happens, here's how I respond. Well, guys, sometimes that's not working out for you too well. and You need to change that. Scriptures say, don't repay evil for evil. Well, that's what we do, isn't it? Somebody calls us a name, we call them something even better. And some of, you are, some of us are good at that. Somebody, somebody yells at us, we yell louder. Somebody's talking about us behind our back, we have our own fuel we can throw on that fire. Scriptures say, don't repay anyone evil for evil. It should remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the left cheek also. You know, something about that passage. People think, well, that means that I have to let somebody beat me up. I don't think so. I think the Bible would say you have, you're have you within your right to defend yourself physically from attack. When it says, if he strikes you on the right cheek, think about it. A right-handed person to hit someone on the right cheek would backhand them why do you backhand somebody? That's an insult. That's not not how you win a fight, okay? I'm not an experienced fist fighter, but I know if I'm going to win a fight, I don't come up and slap somebody with the back of my hand. That is an insult. What Jesus is saying is not, oh, if somebody attacks you physically, stand there and take it. He's saying, if someone insults you, don't respond with an insult in return. Just say, it's okay. My father loves me. You may think I'm stupid. You may think I'm ugly. You may think I'm ridiculous. It doesn't matter. My father loves me like I am, and I'm going to choose to treat you in a way that you haven't treated me. You turn the other cheek. You don't repay evil for evil. Now, let me just say, that's one of the least popular teachings in the Bible. Oh, it's popular as long as you're talking about somebody else. We admire people who turn the other cheek. We just don't like someone telling us to do so. He then goes on and says, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And I don't think that means that we need to worry all the time what others think. What he's saying is respect the feelings of others. Respect how others feel. Just know, if you say this, how it's going to impact that person. Just know, why am I pushing this person's button? Why am I not respecting their feelings? Don't offend people. Again, don't escalate things unless... It's absolutely necessary. Now, can we say sometimes we do need to take a stand? Sometimes we do need to say something that we know is going to make that person mad. And it would be wrong of us not to say something. But you need a lot of wisdom to know the difference. Some of us don't really have that wisdom, and you need to pray for it. Some of us, are the, some of us, some of us in this room are probably that person who we're always saying, you know, I really wish I hadn't said that maybe you don't even have enough humility to admit that. You're just like, I don't know why people hate me all the time. Well, guess what the common denominator is? It's you. And it's the things you say. If you find yourself always in conflict, maybe it's because you're choosing to escalate things. You're choosing to respond to things that provoke you in a way that's not working. So try not responding to evil with evil. Try taking it. Once in a while, the insult, the injustice, the indignity, whatever it might be that stirs up your pride, just say, I'm just going to let them have that one and see what happens. Don't respond to evil with evil. Stop the conflict before it starts. Don't be the one who escalates things. So that doesn't always work. That's what we're called to do. Sometimes people are just evil. They keep on being mean. So what do we do? I think the next step is, Make it right as quickly as possible. Verse 18. Verse 18, let me read that for you again. I know it's up on the screen. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's a lot of us, maybe all of us, that need to have that verse memorized. Just think about how profound that is. First of all, there's those two words at the beginning, if possible. Is it possible to be at peace with everybody you know? Probably not. You and I All of us, I'm sure, know some people who are so emotionally unhealthy. Maybe some of them are suffering from a a mental illness of some kind. Or maybe they've just been done wrong by life. And it's impossible to be at peace with them. For whatever reason, they don't like us. For whatever reason, they can't handle our interaction with them, no matter what we try. But have we done everything we can, if possible? He says. And then, as far as it depends on you, I think Jesus would say, I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about you. Have you done everything you can do? Have you done everything you can do to make it right? I want you to be at peace with everybody in your life. I want all of your relationships to be healthy. Have you done everything you can do? Don't tell me about them. I know your grievances. We're going to get to that next. What about you? Remember, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 23 through 34, Jesus tells this long story and says, listen, if, if you think you're going to stand in my house and offer an offering to me, if you think you're going to worship me and I'm going to be glad to see you, and yet you've done somebody wrong and you haven't made it right, you've got some friend, some neighbor, some coworker who's angry with you, and you think you can come into my house and worship me, I don't want your worship. I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your offering. I want you to get right with that person. Think about that for a moment. We as Christians can use worship sometimes as a band-aid. And I've had a bad week. I got mad at my boss. I, I, was, I was mean to one of my employees. I, 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 did, I, was, I yelled at my kids. It's okay. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to sing the songs. I'm going to sit through the sermon. And when it's all said and done, God's going to wipe the slate clean. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, God forgives you, but he doesn't want your worship if you're not willing to do the hard work of making that relationship right. So I I seriously want you to think, before you walk into our sanctuary at 11, is there someone I need to apologize to? Now I know immediately your pride jumps up and says, well, wait a second, they're in the wrong. They, They did more than I did. Have you done all that you can? God will deal with them. Have you done all that you can? I mean, it could have been this morning. You could have... Had a fight with your spouse this morning. You could have, uh, you could have, texted something to a friend that you you texted out of spite. That you need to call him up and say, "Listen, I need to apologize to you." At my previous church, uh, one day we had the Lord's Supper, and after that service, there was a teenage girl who came up to me and she said, "Thank you." And I said, "For what?" And she said, "You brought my best friend and me back together again. I mean, we hadn't been able to talk, but now we're able to talk again." And I said, "What are you talking about?" And she said, well, earlier in the service, you said, don't take the Lord's Supper if you know somebody in this room has a problem with you. And my mom and her mom have been fighting. And so my mom wasn't letting me talk to my best friend because her and my best friend's mom weren't getting along. And so before the Lord's Supper, my mom got up and went and talked to her mom. And they went out into the hallway and they talked it out and they got right. And so now my mom told me I can call her again. Now my mom told me we can be friends again. I thought that was so beautiful. I mean, it almost never works that way. Because we as Christians are like, oh yeah, amen, for that guy. Oh, that, that preached the truth, preacher. I hope they're listening. We rarely apply it to ourselves. And that was one of those rare moments when someone was humble enough to say, wait a second, Jesus was talking to me too. And he's talking to you too, if possible. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. As far as it depends on you. You can't control what they do. But have you done all you can? And and I I know I'm lingering here, but there's so many objections we come up with. And another one that we come up with is, well, what if they're not even sorry? They've never apologized to me. How can I possibly show them forgiveness when they're not even repentant? And, And what if I'm still hurt? I hear this a lot from people. I just don't know if I can really forgive that person. Listen, Two things: you can't control what they do. That's true. Number two, you can't control how you feel. You can't decide not to be hurt. I I get that. When Jesus says forgive that person, he's not saying that you have to overcome your feelings of anger toward them because you're not in control of that. Forgiveness simply means you listen to this. Forgiveness simply means I'm going to stop wishing for and or working for your harm, and I'm going to start wishing for and working for your good. That's all forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I'm not going to anymore hope bad things happen to you, and talk ugly about you, and plan my vengeance against you. Instead, I'm going to start praying for good for you. I'm going to start treating you with kindness. I'm just, every intention I have toward you from now on is going to be for good. That's forgiveness. Again, doesn't control what they do. And it doesn't immediately change your heart. But my experience says, when you start wishing for, praying for, hoping for, working for their good, your heart changes. So if you want to heal the hurt in your heart over what that person said to you or did to you, a good way to start is by that kind of forgiveness. By intentionally working for their good. Wishing for, praying for their good. Make it right as quickly as possible. And then step three. Don't make your own justice. I know that's the temptation. In fact, culture will tell us that's what strong people do. They go out and make their own justice, they make things right. Verse 19, and verse 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. What does that mean? Leave room for God's wrath? I think it means what you think it means. I think God in heaven is watching us, and he knows when someone has treated us unfairly. And if we go ahead and take our own vengeance, even if it's something as as seemingly minor as, I'm just going to gather all my friends and talk about how mean she is. When we take our own vengeance, I think God in heaven says, oh, you got this? Okay, fine. I'll I'll let you. If you want to deal with it, go. I mean, it'd be better if I dealt with it, but okay, you got this. If on the other hand, we trust the Lord, that He's watching, that He always does what's right, we can trust He's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring justice to the situation. The person who did something awful to you will face him someday unless you take matters into your own hands. I know I've told you all this story before, but um, you know, I, I, in my first church, I, I taught a Sunday school class kind of like this, except much, much smaller. And there was a guy in that class who was going through a divorce with his ex-wife. Actually, they were divorced. They were just going through custody battles. And you know how awful custody battles can be. And this was, this was the uh, textbook example of how ugly they can be. I mean, his ex-wife was accusing him of terrible things so she could get full custody, and he was so angry. And, you know, one day in the middle of the Sunday school class, he says, you know, if I saw her walking across the street and I was in my truck, I'd just run her over and I'd keep on driving. Now, let me tell you, when you're 26 years old and you're pastoring your first church and somebody says that in a Sunday school class... That'll wake you up quick. They don't teach you what to say to that in seminary. I'll tell you that right now. And there was a woman in the class. She's a little older than me. um, And she was always kind of a frustration to me because she never really got it. You know, I'd teach the scripture. And and at the end, she'd ask a question that basically said, I wasn't listening to anything you said. She was a little bit frustrating to me. But that day, it's like the Lord just entered her soul and spoke. And she she said to him, honey, listen to me you turn that woman over to the Lord and he will take care of her far better than you can. And I was like, wow, that's the truth right there. And he stopped complaining about his ex-wife at that point. He realized she was right. Now, think about this for a moment. I know the Bible says in, in the law of Moses, an eye for an eye. Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We're all familiar with that, right? Do you know the background of that? That's not an endorsement of vengeance. That's God trying to limit vengeance. See, in the ancient world, let's say uh, me and a friend of mine go out into the field and we're working together. We're cutting down trees. And let's say I'm swinging my axe and the head of the axe falls off, flies off and hits my friend in the head and kills him. That's an accident, right? But I'm the only one who knows that was an accident. His family comes after me at that point. They kill me. Then my family comes after them. And back and forth it goes until two whole families are dead. That's the way the ancient world worked. So God said, no, no, no. From now on, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. First of all, if there's no witnesses that say it was intentional, that person, me, can run to a city of refuge. There were cities of refuge all across Israel. You can go, you can stay in that city of refuge where you will be safe, where you will be protected from that man's family who's coming to kill you. You'll be protected in that town forever. Second of all, even if you have done a crime, if I get mad and I punch you in the eye, your family doesn't get to come and cut my throat. No, they get to punch me in the eye, right? If I steal your cat, why would I steal your cat? If I steal your camel, right? I don't have to get my hand chopped off. I give you a camel back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It was meant to limit retribution. Even even passages in the Old Testament that seem like they're really harsh and judgmental we're meant to limit our desire for vengeance. And God says, listen, it's my job to avenge. I will repay. So then fourth, what have we said so far? Stop the conflict before it starts. You can change the way you respond to provocation. You can get rid of most conflicts in your life, and your life will be so much more peaceful. Secondly, when there is conflict, when there is disagreement, make it right as quickly as possible. Third, don't make your own justice. Never ever take vengeance. But then fourth, respond to hatred with love. So let's say none of the first three things work. You've tried. You've been patient. And that person still hates you. You haven't been able to reconcile with them. So you just keep on loving them. That's what verses 20 and 21 say. Verse 20 is a quote from Proverbs. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. and doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I know, I know, we hear that and we say, "Yeah, but nobody really lives like that." Well, Jesus did. Remember, Jesus did that as they were crucifying. Him. And and I know it's just a movie, but the in the in the in the Passion of the Christ, in that scene where Jesus is is praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I love the part where the priest has been standing there cursing Jesus. And Jesus prays that prayer. And that Roman soldier who's standing there says, Hey, he's praying for you. I love that scene because the priest stops cursing at that point. He realizes, I've got no more weapons against this man. I can't defeat him with my hatred. He's just defeated me with his love. And I know another objection to this idea is, well, the world doesn't work that way. If you do that, the bad guys win. I need to point out that everything I've been saying today, turn the other cheek, return good for love, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, that's all intended for individuals, not for nations. You go on and read Romans chapter 13, and what does it say? Romans 13 says, respect the king. Because the king bears the sword, and the sword is not there for nothing. Romans 13 is all about, hey, God created governments, he created kings, even unrighteous kings, God uses them to punish evil. Governments, armies, police forces, there's plenty of policemen who are Christians, some aren't, doesn't matter, God is using them to punish evil. God's point is, hey... If if someone bombs our nation, we don't turn the other cheek. We have to defend our people. If someone breaks into your house, you don't turn the other cheek. You call the cops, they arrest them. That's the way it's supposed to work. But you don't take your own justice against individuals you have relationships with. MLK, Martin Luther King, said, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. That sounds beautiful, but how many times have you tried it? I mean, seriously. How many times have you actually tried it really loved an enemy you've got that person that y'all have been in conflict for a long time and you've pretty much come to accept it that's just the way things are going to be i know he's my he's my brother i know he's my he's my uh co i know she's my sister-in-law we just don't like each other and that's the way it is have you tried what romans 12 says I'm going to return every evil thing they do with good. And I'm not going to do it in a sarcastic, passive-aggressive way. I'm just going to do it because I want the best for them. And that's hard for me, so I'm going to pray. Okay, Lord, Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm going to see them. and It's going to be hard. Get me ready. Every sarcastic comment, I'm I'm going to return with kindness. I'm not going to return fire. I'm just going to will the best for this person. So let me just close with this. In the 1930s, there was an American named David Braun who was in a Russian gulag. Don't know the whole story, how he got there. But trapped in this dungeon, basically, with 250 men, crammed in there. And there was an old priest there, an old Orthodox priest. And there were these two prisoners. He didn't know the backstory, but these two prisoners just constantly harassed that priest. They would, They would snatch his food away. They would call him names. They would intentionally bump into him and knock him down. So one day, uh, this American, David Braun, somehow his wife managed to get him a care package. It's just a little box with some food in it. And he reached in there and there was a piece of bread in there and he, he felt so bad for that priest, he took it to the priest and he said, here, I want to share this with you. Everybody's watching and wishing, well, I wish he would share that with me. So the priest takes the bread and he splits it in half and he gives one piece to each of his two enemies. And the American's like, hey, don't do that. This is for you. You're going to die. You're starving. He says, no. He says, let me be, brother. They need it more than I. Soon I will go home to my Lord. Don't be angry with me. And soon after that, he did indeed die. But Braun said, from then on, that entire place was different. Everybody treated each other differently. Just because of that one act of love. So let me remind you once again, you're going to have conflict. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all are. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to get your feelings hurt. You're going to hurt other people's feelings. But you have a choice on how you're going to handle that when it happens. You have the opportunity every time a conflict breaks out to say, this time's going to be different than last time. We're not going down that same road, at least not as far as I'm concerned. What are you going to do differently? And I seriously want you to come up with a plan. What am I going to do differently the next time this happens? How am I going to change the dance that I have with this person that I wish we got along better? Ask God for wisdom. He can show you the way. But the instructions, the general instructions are right here. Let's just try it. Since we claim to be believers in this book, let's just try it and see if it works. And I know, I know your life will be happier and much less stressful when you handle these conflicts differently. So, let's pray. Lord God, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk for a few minutes and, and make it sound like all of this is easy to do, but we know it's not in real life. And so, Lord, I pray that people here who are struggling with conflict wouldn't feel condemned, but would understand you, you hurt for them. Lord, you know um, what you want for their relationships, for our relationships, and, and you weep when we're not experiencing that. So, Lord, give us wisdom to know how to respond to our family members, to our close friends, to people who are important to us, when they get angry with us and when we get angry with them, I pray that I pray for marriages in this room that they would be different in days ahead, that we would make a concerted effort to treat one another differently instead of being nice all day at work and coming home and and just letting down our guard and and, and being angry and sarcastic and quick to fly into a rage, let's be different. I pray, Lord for Uh, extended family members, I pray for Thanksgiving this week and the people we'll see and some of the conflicts that we're walking into and wounds that might get reopened. Pray that we would know how to respond. Lord, help us to be prayed up so we would respond in love. Pray, Lord, for friendships that have been destroyed, Uh, people we used to be close with, but now we don't even talk. Help us, Lord, to know what to do. Instead of just accepting that as the way things are, give us a vision for the way things could be. Help us to take the steps we can do so that as far as it depends on us, we'll live at peace with them. Lord, for conflicts at work and and people we know we need to make things right with, I pray that we would take your word seriously and do all that we can. Lord, teach us to truly forgive as we've been forgiven. Lord, give us lives where our relationships are filled with joy. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen.